our pleasure to welcome back this morning our guest for this week. It's been a great pleasure for us to have Reverend Dr. Elias Shakur as a guest here on campus. Let me give you brief background for those of you who weren't able to be here on Wednesday or for members from the community who are here today. Father Shakur is a Melkite priest. The Melkite church dates back to the first century in Palestine. He was raised in Palestine. He was born there in in the Galilee region where our Lord walked and taught and shared and discipled. He grew up in those very same hills. His family had lived there since the 1600s that they've been able to trace back, or the 16th century, I should say, though his Palestinian brothers and sisters date all the way back. Father Shakur is a Palestinian Christian. Many of us have a tendency, erroneously, to think of Palestinians as all Muslims. That's not correct, as you've seen, because you've met Father Shakur. And there are many, many Arab Christians in the Holy Land, although the number is diminishing, which, as he shared on Wednesday, is of concern to him. You know that the modern situation in Israel-Palestine has caused much frustration, pain, violence, and death. There have been many battles fought. The Intifada, which was the uprising of the Palestinian people uh, of several years back, was uh, front-page news for a long, long time right here in the United States. In the midst of that, Father Shakur and many other friends of many different faiths have been working to build a, a peacemaking network of friendships, a peacemaking network of institutions as well, educational institutions, college, high school, two of which he has founded, which have Muslim students, Christian students, Jewish students, and Druze students. And so in the midst of a tense place, Father Shakur and many other friends of his are working to unite people of all those faiths to have a nonviolent and a peaceful but a just society. He's the author of two books, one of which is entitled Blood Brothers, which has been translated into 28 languages. He's been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize and uh, many other honors he's received. I think perhaps one of the most unique honors is having been the first Arab student to study at Hebrew University in the Bible and Talmudic studies. He is a friend, he is a Christian, and he's a man of peace. Let's welcome back Father Elias Shakur. I thought we would follow a similar format uh, as we did on Wednesday. You'll notice they're a little hard to see, but we have uh, put some slides up with a map of Palestine, Israel. And uh, on it, uh, you can see the area of the West Bank. Many of you were asking about that. Uh, are you able to see that from the back? Can you spot it? Okay. Well, sorry, we tried. <laughs> But I think what I'm going to do is at least point out so you can see when you're directing questions to Father Shakur later in the chapel, 
the large area in the center there is the West Bank. The Gaza Strip is this small area right down here, on the, on, you, as you're looking at it, on the lower left-hand side. This is the Mediterranean Sea over here. So the West Bank there, the Gaza Strip there, Galilee up in the north. Just to give you a little idea, I'm sorry that's not as uh, easy to read as we had hoped when we created it. I wanted to ask Father Shakur a couple opening questions, and then uh, we'll try to save the last 15 or 20 minutes for you to ask him questions. And when that time comes, you can just stand where you are, and then I'll repeat your question to be sure everyone uh, can hear it. Father Shakur, welcome back Thank you. again. My pleasure. One of the things I wanted to ask you on uh, Wednesday, you shared about the different groups in Israel-Palestine. Uh, you shared about Arab Christians. You shared about uh, the Jewish population, about the Muslim population, a little bit about the Druze population. I, I would like to hear you share a bit. What specifically does the Arab population in Israel-Palestine want? What is it thereafter? Well... We can't say only Arab population. It's a very vague term. We should name the babies. And the babies' name are the Palestinian Arabs and the Israeli Jews. And since Israel was established on a very large territory of Palestine, and the Palestinians have been deported and evicted from their towns and villages, that were very often completely destroyed and sometimes the houses that have not been destroyed were confiscated and some Jew who came from Europe, America, from Russia, from the Arab countries lives in those houses while the Palestinians were reduced to refugees. All that the Palestinians are claiming for now is the occupied territories, I mean that territory called the West Bank of the Jordan River and the Gaza Strip that were inhabited by mainly Palestinians and Palestinians say we want to have that back and we are ready to make the very big concession to accept that what Israel has taken from Palestine in the 1947 would be known as the Israeli state and these territories would be known as our mini state so that we can live in good neighborhood together, but also independent politically, educationally, and in all other levels. That's what exactly they want. Uh, and they are, I think, right, because we cannot continue thinking that Israel as a modern state can survive with the power of weapons only if there is no friendship built with the victim of Israel, that is the Palestinians, I mean through a kind of preparation for reconciliation that can be done only through the recognition of the rights of the Palestinians to live in Palestine. Goodness, this is the minimum they can require. And once that is done, there would be a place for forgiveness and for a final settlement to the long-lasting conflict between Israeli Jews and Palestinian Arabs. Okay, what would you say then uh, would be the desires of the Israeli Jews? You've, you described what the desires 
of the Palestinians. Well, that's a very good question that can never be answered because uh, it uh, inspires as if the Jews are one head who thinks and that's it. Well, you know, we have a problem, we Palestinian Arabs and Israeli Jews, wherever you find two Jews or two Palestinians, you have to be ready to face at least three opinions. Okay? So there are Jews and Jews, and it would be a drastic mistake to deal with all of them as a kind of vague entity. Jews think like that, or Jews think like this. And this is exactly what happened 47 years ago when Jews on block were considered dirty Jews. While no one was dirty, the real dirt was the Third Reich's ideology. And since then, the same error has been perpetuated against the Palestinians who are portrayed as the dirty Arabs or the terrorist Palestinians. There are radical groups, very, very minority groups among the Palestinians who are very radical, exactly like among the Jews, exactly like you here in the States. So uh, they, the Jews are divided. Some, and that's the good, I think, part of it to my mind, say, well, we want a homeland, but not totally on the expenses of the Palestinians. We should find a formula where we share this land that was known as Palestine 47 years ago with the original inhabitants. And it's better to have two states side by side in a friendly relation than to have one state called Israel while two-thirds of the population would be enslaved to the Jewish population of Palestine. Other Jews that are extremely radical and in a dogmatic way, they interpret their scriptures literally as this land belongs to them and all the others have to be subhumans, that means Gentiles who have the right to live because the Jews might need them to do the works on Sabbath, on Saturday, because the Jews do not work. And that's where they tolerate the goyim, the Gentiles. And we are not ready, we Palestinians, to play that role. We are ready to play the role of partners. We are ready to forgive. But only to forgive if there is a way for reconciliation. And reconciliation can never happen unless there is an acceptance for a just settlement of the problem. So there are many Jewish groups. There are those who are in the middle who don't know what to think, and they balance between the right and the left, uh, left, left side. And there are also these settlers in Israel who confiscated territories in the occupied Palestinian land in the West Bank and Gaza, and amazingly enough, and this I put to your conscience, you young Americans, the big majority of them, the very big majority, if not the totality, are young American Jews. So can I ask you, what education do you give to these Jews, to these young people? Would you be ready also to come and confiscate a land that does not belong to you and to say, this is my land, go away you, we don't mind what will become of you? It's amazing that all these young people in the settlements are young Americans. And when we say settlements, it sounds something different than for yeah. you. I give you Gaza. 
the example of this strip of Gaza, where there are 900,000 refugees, and now the original inhabitants are around 40,000. But around Gaza, 3,000 settlers, Jewish settlers, built their villages and their settlements, and these 3,000 control 85% of the waters of Gaza, while the 900,000 Palestinian refugees and Gaza people have the right to 15% of the water. Can you make peace in these conditions? Can you hope for any settlement in these conditions? I think the Palestinians should have a moderate, more moderate view about the Jews, but the settlers and the Jews should have a more balanced and human way to deal with the Palestinians. Our problem today is that we have no weapons, and I hope we shall never have weapons. Because those who have the weapons, the other side, seem to be more in danger because they have killed their own soul and they believe in weapons and might. They glorify the tank and the bomb, which is a great danger for the survival, spiritual and physical, of any nation. Father Shakur, in, in the West, in the press, we're presented often with quite the opposite picture of what you just said about weapons. We're presented with a picture in the press of the Palestinians being terrorists, the Palestinians having weapons, the Palestinians blowing up uh, buses, etc. Uh, and it's often portrayed as uh, Islamic fundamentalism. Can you comment both on uh, Islamic fundamentalism and uh, on this issue of the elements within the Palestinian population that are using weapons. Yeah. Well, that's the tragedy, you know. It's exactly like, I like to make the comparison with another people who are suffering exactly the same atrocities we are passing through now, we Palestinians. 47 years ago, Jews had no weapons. They had no might. They had no power. They never took any German to any concentration camp. They were taken to the concentration camp. And nonetheless, they were painted and portrayed as being the dirty Jew. You should have had the courage to go and see these Jews in the concentration camps. They were not dirty. They were dirtied because of the criminal ideology of the Third Reich. And that's exactly what happened to the Palestinians. We were living in Palestine for centuries from immemorial times. We survived the occupation, the hard occupation of the Romans, of the Byzantines, of the Crusaders, of the Turks. We never, never had this nightmare that sometime someone would come from overseas and say, now go away, I take this home, this is my home. But in fact, this nightmare happened when Israel was created and we started welcoming the new Jewish comers. We thought they were the survivors from the devil Hitler and we wanted to give them a place to feel at home. We never thought one day they will kick us out, take our home, destroy our, our trees, and reduce us to refugees. And that's exactly what happened, unfortunately. But then, 
What is even more atrocious is that the might that the powerful has can portray the victim as being the nasty element in the conflict. We are put out, we are deprived from home, land, freedom, and nonetheless, we are also portrayed as the terrorist rather than as the terrorized. It's exactly like a parable I give to my friends. A butcher who wanted to slaughter a lamb. He brought that lamb, tied it, and put it there, and he, before slaughtering him, he noticed that his knife was not so sharp. So he got busy sharpening his knife. And while doing that, one of his friends passed by. He saw him so busy, he did not want to disturb him. He went to the lamb and said to the lamb, O lamb, say to your butcher to mind his finger. That's exactly what the world has been asking us. There are some Palestinians who have lost hope totally. Because they were born first, second, third generations in a small shack in the refugees camps with no work, with no hope in the future. So they decided, now it's time. I will commit suicide and kill others with me. This is bad. But we have to understand that there is something worse. When I take you and corner you to no hope and you kick back, I, you are not the only one who is guilty. I am also the guilty one. And this is extremely important. So there are some radical Palestinian Muslim groups. And you know what would be the answer to radical groups? There are two answers. One wrong answer and one right answer. The wrong answer is to meet violence with another violence. The right answer is to ask why did they suddenly become radical? Because they have no job, we'll give them jobs. Because they have no home, we'll provide them with home. They have no schools, we will build schools for them. And as a Christian, Palestinian Christian, I must confess, I am not afraid at all of Muslim fundamentalism. That never frightened me. But what frightened me and does frighten me up till today is fundamentalism, whether Christian, Jewish, or Muslim. They all feed themselves with the same ideology, excluding the recognition of the other to live and to live in uh, a kind of human dignity. That, yes, frightens me. Among the Jews, there are many more radical groups. Now, the government of Israel seems to be not so conciliatory as you have been uh, watching on your TV. The settlers are extremely radical. The third political group in Israel is the most intransigent group. And, but they are the mighty one. They have the beautiful face. We have no might. You can paint us as you want, unpunished uncontrolled, but I tell you one thing, we will never, never ever become what your press painted us. We will remain a people of hope, who has a huge sense of humor, who dreams of nice future, 
who gives priority to education and who will never accept to become the Amerindians of the Middle East. Okay? I'm sorry to be that tough because if we don't make these points clear, every day we will hear or watch on TV that a Jew killed a Palestinian and a Palestinian killed a Jew. And that has to stop. And you can make a difference, you here in America. I know you think you are the superpower and you are so. You think you are the light of the world. You are some light of the world, but sometimes your light blinds us like these projectors. <laughs> so turn down your light a little bit. <laughs> so we can take you as a help to see our way on and not to be blinded with your projectors and see no one there. I can guess there are people there. I'm going to open it to questions. In the back here, please stand. That's an excellent question. Well, I must tell you, brother, that I don't honor the Word of God in the Bible, but I, will, I honor God through reading the Bible. And God is much more important than what we read in the Bible. Well, I must uh, remember, I must re uh, remind you of a very simple fact, that Jews and Palestinians claim to be the children of one man. One man who was not a Jew. One man who was a Gentile. One man who was not from Palestine, Israel, but he was from Iraq, from Mesopotamia. Did you guess who? Abraham. Abraham, the patriarch. He was not a Jew at all. He was a Gentile living among Gentile nations. Goy Anuchi Hai Ben Am Goy. That's what we read in the Hebrew Bible. And that means exactly that his mission was destined for the nations to become the people of God. This Abraham had two sons. The firstborn, Ishmael, and the second, Isaac. To make a long story short, they were not in good terms together. They were as nasty as we Palestinians and Israeli Jews. They were fighting each other. But when they heard that their father died in Hebron, they forgot all their differences. They put aside their conflict and they reconciled to come together to bury their father in a dignified way. Today, we are fighting in Hebron, not so much to protect the honor of Abraham or to respect his bones, but who has the control over the stones and the city of Abraham that is called in Arabic Al-Khalil, which is the friend to come back to remember the friend of God, Abraham.
I think that there was always, according to our history, to the Bible and to the other Bibles, to the other scriptures, there were always other nations living in Palestine. And the covenant of God was never an unconditional covenant. It was conditional to the faithfulness of both sides, God and Abraham. And if Abraham once would no more remind the nations, the non-Jews, that God is the Lord and he is the only Lord, no matter where Abraham would be, the land where he will be shall vomit him out. This is what I have learned in the Talmud. The coming back of uh, the Jews to Palestine, well, you can use the old Jewish Bible to understand that I have not, nothing against. But when it comes to persecute me, to kick me out, to deprive me from being a human being, then I say, if that is really God's will, I don't accept it. Once I was lecturing near here in Los Angeles, I was saying simply, naively, that God does not kill. And I do still believe that. Someone stood up and said, I don't agree with you, Father Shakur. I said, why? He said, what do you do with Joshua who conquered Jericho? He received the order from God to kill everybody except the prostitute. I said, my dear friend, I tell you the truth, I have no problem with God. I have a problem with Joshua who interprets God's orders as being so cruel, so violent, so unacceptable. We should never oppose the right of Israel to independence, to future, to survival, to the right of the Palestinians who are there for the same rights. And unless they walk hand in hand, none of us will be able to survive. This is a clear statement. And more than that, who are the Palestinians today? Who am I? I am the descendant of the first Christians. Who were the first Christians? Many of them were Jews. Others were Romans. Others were Greeks. There was no American. But there were some Arabs. And all of them formed the first Christian community. Aren't we, in fact, fighting against each other as against ourselves? And for God's sake, no matter with, with which side you would be, never accept to justify murder, violence, oppression with biblical arguments. Otherwise, you will justify the many millions of human beings who say, your Bible is not better than any other book of any other religion. It preaches discrimination, violence, oppression, and that kind of God cannot be the good God. Thank you. Okay, other questions, please. Yes.
Let me repeat that. The question was, with the peacemaking talks in the Middle East, with nothing seeming to happen, what is it that Father Shakur thinks it will take to bring that about? Is that correct? Well, officially, nothing is happening, but nonetheless, there are much things happening. There is now a Palestinian administration. There is a kind of, kind of autonomy given to few Palestinian-occupied territories, but in depth, there is a kind of unpronounced alliance between many, many Palestinians and as many Jews in Israel to work together for peace. And I give you a very simple example. There has been two democratic free elections, one in the Palestinian territories, included Jerusalem, and one in Israel, the free country of Israel. And both elections turned around yes or no for the peace treaty. Everybody was prophesying so easily that the Palestinians would vote en masse against any peace treaty. And Hamas will have the, the overhand. He will have the elections in his hand. They will win the elections. That is what the Western press portrayed and unconsciously, that is what they wanted. But it's not what the Palestinians wanted. The elections came out with 85% for the peace treaty and 15% against Arafat, against the PLO, and some of them against the peace treaty. 15%. Few months later, we had the elections in Israel. Everybody hoped that the elections in Israel would really promote peace, encourage the peace treaty, go ahead with it, and a small minority would vote for Mr. Netanyahu. The outcome, 75% of our Israeli Jewish friends, brothers and sisters, voted for Netanyahu, and 25 to 30% voted for the peace treaty with Perez. The difference of the votes were the Arab-Palestinian votes inside Israel. And since then, there is stalemate. There is a kind of going nowhere. There is a kind of uh, negation of the agreement that has been signed by the Israeli government and by the PLO, by the Palestinian government, to continue the redeployment of the Israeli army from Hebron, from the West Bank, so that Next summer, they would start negotiating the final settlement to sign a final agreement for a comprehensive peace. But the changes, the political changes, are not what we hoped for. That is what we have. No matter who is this or that government, they can slow down the peace treaty they can slow down the coming together of Jews and Palestinians, but they cannot eliminate this deep, deep yearning in the hearts of the majority of the Palestinians and of the Jews to come together and to build a common future where they can be reconciled after half a century.
of producing martyrs, orphans, widows, problems, and calamity. I'd like to take the privilege of closing with the last question. You said in an interview with Christianity Today earlier this year that we must teach our Christians to become more authentic Christians. What did you mean by that, and what would an authentic Christian witness look like today in Israel-Palestine? Well, I did not say that for you because I'm not teaching you. We need conversion as much as you need it, maybe more often than you need it. Uh, it seems to me that nowadays we are rather geared to preach our own church, our own denomination, our own philosophy, theology, reformed, re-reformed or not yet reformed, Roman Catholic, Protestant, Anglican, Episcopalian, born again or not born yet, and all these things that focus all our attention and we forget that the only focal point for our faith is the proclamation of an empty tomb and a risen Lord. It is Christ, the Messiah, who is the central point of our faith. And unless we meet together around this person who came to teach us not so much condescendence and charity, but who came to teach us truth and justice so that when we love the outsider, when we love the other, it's not out of condescendence or out of charity or for the sake of God. It is because that person is lovable as he or she are. And this is so authentic. We need, we have a group of theologians in Jerusalem called the group of the theology of, of liberation. Well, every time we meet together, since I'm a member of that committee, I remind them that we do not need any theology of liberation. We need a liberation of theology so that we come back, all of us, to Christ and to say we are sinful people. We need to use our traditions, our personal history, so that we discover the importance of Christ who still preaches to us. There is no Jew, no Gentile, no man, no woman. We are all called to become adopted children of God. This is what I mean by that. Thank you very much. Let's thank Father Shakur. Thank you for your good questions and uh, good fortune to you in finals week. Now, You're just, thank oh. you for inviting me to Westmont. Uh, well, I, when I'm with you, I feel that I'm back home. So thank you for your hospitality, friendship, and for inviting me. It's great to be with you. Thank you.